Hi there. Welcome to the Early Stages Podcast by APX. I'm Julia, your host, and over the next six episodes, you and I were going through the startup journey from inception to scale together. We'll be speaking to some amazing founders who have been through the APX Accelerator and the advisors who helped them along the way. We'll find out where they started, who they lent on for guidance, and how they ultimately found success. You might be asking, what is APX? APX is the leading early-stage investor and accelerator program for digital startups in Europe, and it's based in Berlin. APX invests in teams building digital businesses, and they support each team with an investment of 50,000 euros, access to their extensive network, and a tailor-made program to secure future financing. APX is a joint venture between Axel Springer and Porsche, and since 2018, APX has invested in more than 60 companies with founders from over 20 countries, along with over 100 co-investors. It is the successor to the Axel Springer Plug and Play Accelerator, which, between 2013 and 2017, was the first investor in more than 100 startups, including FinTech Unicorn N26. In each episode, we'll be hearing from one APX advisor and two startup founders and cover everything from quitting your day job to building a team and exploring accelerators and venture capital. Throughout this six-part series, we'll gain exclusive insight into the mind and life of an entrepreneur and learn that while it's not always easy, with the right mentoring, networks, and a solid idea, you could find yourself with a great company and an even better exit. So where do we start? Most brilliant ideas don't simply appear out of nowhere. They arise because someone has a need. For many founders, having a problem and focusing on it is the first step to turning your idea into a viable product. And bow. Good boy. Yes. Doggo is an app for training your dog. Hi, I'm Tada Jamis co-founder of Doggo, the world's number one dog training app. Around the world, there is... Today, it has over 2.5 million downloads and 200,000 monthly users, but it was initially started in 2016 by two people with a problem. An unruly puppy. Raza was a vet and Tadas was a software developer, but they started to realize that there was a gap in the market when they were learning how to train their dog, Udra. Here's their co-founder, Elisa Hervanzalo, with more. And basically, when they adopted their dog called Udra, she, like most puppies, was very active, needed training. But uh, moreover, you as a pet owner, when you get a pet, you want to create and maintain the strong bond between you and essentially your best friend. And then you start to think, like, what are the options out there? So sure, you can go to dog training schools, you can read different books and watch YouTube videos. Um, but those solutions are either expensive, too far away, or not personalized. So therefore, there was a need for a companion app for dog parents to, first of all, work on some of the behavioral issues they might have, but also more so to generate ideas and help dog parents to live a fulfilling life uh, together with their pets. Similarly, Linda Ahrens of Unknown Fashion and her co-founder, Tina Spiesmacher, started their company after they experienced a problem that many have when they saw that sustainable fashion was difficult to find in Germany. 
At Unknown, we developed an online leasing service for sustainable clothing. So with us, you can lease clothes for one to four months, enjoy it as long as you want, and then you send it back um, so somebody else can have fun with wearing the clothes. Basically, it was in winter, and we thought, where's this? <laughs> how do we find more sustainable winter coats that are not filled with down, for example, mm -hmm. um, but still warm and look nice? Mm -hmm. And all of these questions. And this was the starting point that we somehow um, became very serious about at some point. And then we quit our jobs and just um, took a leap of faith in a way. Brilliant. So you quit your jobs before mm. you had properly gotten things off the ground with yeah. unknown. Wow. We actually did that. And probably like looking back at it, it's um, probably not the most clever thing <laughs> to do. I mean, at but least, it worked. Uh, yeah. 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 It did. At, at least all of the, um, there's a lot of stuff out there that tells you, though, to probably reduce hours first and then um, and work on your work on your venture or project as a side project. Um, on the other hand, We ne really needed that mind space, I think, um, and and sort of that yeah space to think and space to work through stuff because we couldn't do it on the side. Unknown and Doggo are extremely different companies, but they both came into existence because their co-founders saw a new solution to a problem, and it's from there that they became the entrepreneurs they are today. In addition to building a solution to a problem, Yoni Goldwasser a founder and advisor with APX, says that all founders need to have one thing in common. I think to be uh, able to take that step of, of becoming an entrepreneur, you need to have a certain um, appetite for risk. Okay. Uh, so it's uh, a pretty high risk, high reward type of uh, situation. You need to really believe in what you're doing, uh, being willing to dedicate yourself very completely to it. Um, And it's, I'm not sure it's necessarily a just a personality thing. It's also a, a peer, period in life because I think for some people, they can do it when they're young and don't have a mortgage and don't have kids. Uh, later in life, it becomes a little bit more complex. Conversely, you could say that maybe once people have some savings in, in, you know, in their wallet, then they can actually do it when they've you know, had a chance to work in their 20s and then maybe do it in their 30s. They also have more experience and are more likely to succeed. But I think it's a little bit different for each person. Um, so I would say that just because you don't feel like you're right to found a company now, it doesn't mean that that's going to be the case forever. So what if you've identified a problem, you have what you think is a solution, where do you go from here? This is where research is critical. At the very beginning, we had an honest talk and looked each other into the eyes. And it's like there was this moment of realization that we're going to pu push through it, basically. And I think that's something that I'm pretty thankful for, that we had an agreement over or as to how serious we were about it. Um, because that then also made us basically say no to um, job offers that were in the in the room already. Um, and then we um, did what we were sort of what we were used to doing, making our doing our homework, um, making research, conducting research and both with users, but also um, market research, industry research and all of that. We actually went to a couple of conferences to get into that space um, and into the fashion scene. 
and just understand basically by observing what's going on. And we were quite open about the actual solution that we would build because we just wanted to work insight and like user insight based mm -hmm. rather than coming up with a solution and then finding your market afterwards, right? Which is still something that you see quite a lot. Um, even when people say we've done user research, it's not, I guess, as open as you need to be in the very beginning. According to Linda, unknown fashion is very different to other companies in their market. Think Stitch Fix in the US or Y Closet in China. Why? Well, because one, their competitors weren't in Germany. Two, they focused on rental over purchase. And three, they only work with sustainable brands. Because of this, Linda and Tina knew what they had was one of a kind. So how do you know that what you have is unique and that it's a viable market option? Don't be afraid to look at your competition. The fact that you have competition is not bad. You just need to really understand it very well so you can plan around it. Don't look at just who your, your current competitors are. Look at also who could be new entrants who are people who are upstream or downstream of you in the value chain that could like move move into your space. So really try and, and, and understand and, and substitutes. So not, not somebody competing with you exactly on, on the same product, but a product that could substitute, again, looking back at the needs question, who could fulfill the need that you're talking about in just a different way. So that's, that's quite a lot of homework that mm. you need to do, but it's super important. Now you're probably sitting there thinking, yes, market and user research is hugely important. But Julia, how do we pay for this? So I think um, very important to also think about your finances. Like um, if, you, if you would do this full time, how do you plan to finance yourself? And um, the good thing is that in Germany, there are quite a lot of governmental support mm -hmm. uh, from the unemployment agency. There's a thing called Gründerzuschuss. So like a grant for founders. Um, so basically, first of all, kind of try to think how can you ideally do this full time. Um, but yeah, during those times, we first of all were bootstrapped. So we didn't have in the beginning any investors. It was mainly Tadas and Rasa who um, bootstrapped and, and yeah, did other jobs in the meantime. Funding and financing is a whole thing on its own. We'll be doing a deep dive into this in episode four. But in the meantime, it's important to first establish whether this idea that you have is even something people would invest in in the first place. You need to validate your idea. So basically, first of all, kind of try to think how can you ideally do this full time. Um, and then second point, uh, validate your idea with people. So then you need to really figure out with like 10 to 20 people mm. what would be a product that they would be willing to pay for potentially. And then it might be that you already have a network of people that are like-minded. So in my case, it was in the area of HR. And because I was working in HR before, I had 20 people I could uh, write a LinkedIn message because I knew them before. Um, but if you don't have this, uh, you have a different idea, go to meetups to a certain topic or maybe if your product is something about um, gastronomy or restaurants or something like that, you can also just go directly to the person working there who is your target audience mm. and um, yeah, maybe ask them a few questions and, and buy them a cup of coffee afterwards. You just mentioned that cup of coffee and maybe I'm, I'm teetering too far now and just kind of the, the human side of things. But that seems like something that will probably be difficult for some people to do. 
um, being able to kind of put yourself out there. Some people are incredibly like intelligent and they're definitely the brains behind the business. And what would your advice be to people who really are introverted in a way that they would struggle to kind of reach out for that kind of feedback? That's interesting. Um, I mean, there are also online forums like mm-hmm. Facebook groups, like Quora. I don't know. Maybe you can even do an Instagram uh, like post and pooling and ask people around. Yeah. Um, but I do think that at some point you do need to become a bit more extroverted. You may not always agree with the opinions you hear, but it really is important to use this time to listen, adapt and focus on developing the best solution possible. Remember why you started this venture in the first place. You need to recognize that if you keep doing it out of a place of ego and try to make it work, even though you're starting to get very clear signals that you're heading down the wrong path, you're going to waste your time, you're going to waste your money, maybe other people's money, and eventually it's probably not going to work. That haven't been said. Um, It's always a little bit of a, um, again, an art to know... um, When is it that you have this vision that just is correct and just nobody sees it in the beginning because you're such a visionary versus um, you actually don't have anything there and and the feedback that you're getting is is, is correct, that there's nothing there. I mean, there's really no over uh, communication here um, with, with, with customers. Talk to them as much as possible and don't be afraid of some of them telling you that your baby is ugly. You know, it's, it's, sometimes it's just something that you need to hear. Okay, so quick pause. We have market research. We have our idea validated. We've been told that our baby is beautiful and it's time to take that risk. But let's be honest, it's a scary step. And all too often we hold back and wait for the perfect time to take our idea out into the world. But apparently, your kid doesn't actually need to be all that perfect. It's very much about just trying things out. And I think having been a strategist, you think that everything has to be much more polished than it actually has to be. So your job or my job was it to to deliver bulletproof, basically, strategies um, or like insights on digital product development or whatever it is that I would deliver in these early stages, it's all about just figuring things out and trying. And with your releases, for example, um, of new features um, or of ideas being pretty dirty in a way. And that takes quite something because you also have to swallow your pride to a certain extent because you know it's actually shitty, but you still have to do it that way because that's the quickest way to learn. Um And that's definitely something that we're still learning. Is there a point of overthinking or is there definitely a perfect time to jump in? Um, No, it's a little bit of an art form to kind of like feel when have we thought about this enough and when do we actually start to just try to execute. Um, I would say that it depends a little bit on what it is that you're building and how easy it is to test it, but try to aim for very short cycles. So generally try not to, you know, plan the perfect, whatever it is, uh, next iteration of your product because it's never going to be perfect. So just try to get it to be better and just see if it's good enough Um, because the name of the game is good enough. It's not 
you don't have to be great. You just really have to be good enough. Or And what good enough means is actually kind of tricky because it could be, you know, better the, than the competition and the competition is actually pretty good. Um, so then your bar is higher. But again, the, it's never about um, creating your masterpiece and your, you know, dream product. I mean, hopefully that will come one day. But when you're so young, the point is really just to get it out there so that people are using it. Speaking to Yoni, Linda, and Elisa, it's become apparent that there's a lot to be done in order to take a company or a product to market. We've also learned that at some point, an entrepreneur needs to start looking for the right people to make that happen. Because realistically, you are probably not a dreamer, a salesperson, a programmer, a designer, and the financial advisor all in one. You're going to have to start looking for partners to complement your skills and bring this baby to life. First of all, I think that um, a good team has a balance between um, what we call uh, doers and dreamers. Um, I think it's important to have somebody who's uh, has the you know deep insights, uh, the long-term vision, um, the you know the the big strategy uh, of where the whole thing is headed. Uh, but it's also really important to to balance that out with um, someone who's very good at making very concrete plans for the next month, week, few days, um, and. Those are typically not the same person. So um, having those that that mix mm-hmm. is actually very uh, important. And one of the things that we sometimes see, if uh, you know, one of the reasons that startups don't do too well is that the entire founding team is either one type or the other. So they either are very good at executing the the here and now, but don't really know how to take it to the next level. And also very common people with very big dreams, but don't have uh, this kind of like um, getting down and, and and just doing it, which is a very different kind of skill set and mindset. Because we that's that's part of our belief that we don't think that you can do it on your own, and we it, we feel that the team is such an integral part of uh, success for a startup that we want to see who that team is. And it seems Elisa has a similar way of viewing things. Uh, for me, the people matter more than the idea mm. because I believe that the ideas can change as the market changes. And um, I know a few companies that did have to change and pivot during their their lifetime. And uh, it's more about the team that you uh, trust the people you work with. And I think then you can really always find a solution and always make it. So actually, I never planned it. It was more like when I found the, the right person, um, it was hard to say no. We've covered a lot in this first episode, but really we've only scratched the surface. In the rest of this series, we will get into all the facets of the startup journey, plus a whole lot more. In the next episode of The Early Stages, we'll be exploring what it takes to build a cohesive startup team and a great company culture. And then also not knowing clearly whom you are looking for. That's also something when when I talk to, to startups, I always encourage them to really write a job description because you can only find what you are looking for when you know what you are looking for. This episode of The Early Stages was produced by Bear Radio for APX and hosted by me, Julia Schubert.